be uh, uh, talking about our school. We've had a school here this past year, a refuge uh, a co-op, and it's just been a wonderful school year. My kids have been immensely blessed, and so we're starting registration for next year, and Alicia just wants to share a little bit about that. It's all that's fixed. Is it fixed? <laughs> Good morning. Okay. <laughs> um, it's just been an incredibly blessed year. The Lord's just gone before us, and uh, it's just been a really sweet time. And my two youngest students here wanted to come up and share a little bit. Um, if you guys want to introduce yourselves and uh, tell, the, tell everybody what you like best about school. My name is Savannah, and I'm in second grade. And my favorite thing about school is... Um, hang out with all my friends and um, Bible time. My name is Roxy, and um, I'm in first grade. And it's been really hard to think of something good about school this morning. <laughs> it's okay. Um, to hang out with my friends. <laughs> These girls didn't want me to have to come up here by myself, so. We're here for moral support, too. <laughs> um, I just wanted to give you a quick idea of what our program looked like this year. We had um, seven families. I couldn't have asked for just a more amazing group of families and kids. We had 11 kids, first through eighth grade. And um, we're just a group of homeschool families that are committed to providing our kids with a Christian education. Um, we all, all of our students use a Becca um, Academy video curriculum. So the students have um, their video instruction that they sit and watch, and then they do their book work. And each parent is um, required to volunteer one full school day a week. So there's lots of one-on-one help going on with the kids, which has been really a blessing. Um, And the nice thing about Abeka, it's a biblically solid curriculum, and then it's fully accredited, so they keep track of all of our transcripts. And just with all of the um, attacks coming against homeschoolers, it's nice to, it's kind of comforting to know that our kids are going to graduate with really solid transcripts. Um, And then, so each week, each Monday, um, our kids get an agenda for all the work that's required them that week. All of our grades, we kind of try to keep on the same schedule. So 8.30, everybody does Bible. Then 9 o'clock, everybody does math, after break, language, and... um, so on and on Tuesdays, we've had our pastors and Elijah come in and teach chapel, which has been a really sweet time. And then Becky Soto um, teaches Spanish. And uh, to have all the, I think it's third through eighth grade, all in one class. At the beginning of the year, I don't think they even spoke more than 12, year, 12 words. Um, and they just had their final a couple of weeks ago, and they each had to write a three-paragraph page, three page um, journaling I think, daily activities, and I was blown away, and they had to get up and read it. They did amazing. So um, Becky did a really great job with that. And then we've had a school store, and the kids got had um, banking lessons, and they had to have their own checking account and learning how to manage that. Um, so it's been really great to see all of the families just contributing their, their talents and gifts and um, just contributing to the school. We had charity bring in... Um, owl pellets for the kids to dissect and had a little science lesson. And if you don't know what an owl pellet is, I'll let you look that up later, maybe after you eat. (laughs) Um, And I know just with all of the things that are going on with public schools, people are looking for other options. 
Um, I think our program is just a really good middle ground to sending your kids off to school and kind of being checked out from their education and then full-on homeschool where the burden's all on, on the parent. So it's, it's just been a really good middle ground that we can all kind of share the burden together and contribute to our own, each other's kids, and it's been a really blessing. So I have a table out by the modulars. You're welcome to come check out um, our curriculum. There's a cost involved with the program, so I have details about that. And uh, just look forward to see how the Lord's going to grow the program next year. And um, if you're interested or know anybody, just please come talk to me. Thanks. All right, well, Second Thessalonians, let's get into this this morning. Um, last week, we were in verses 1 through 4, and we titled the message, Our Gathering Together to Him. And we saw really the main reason for Paul writing this second epistle. Uh, a lie had caught fire there amongst those in Thessalonica that the day of the Lord or the gathering together of the saints had come, the rapture had come, and they had been left behind. And we saw that this lie had seemed started with a, uh, you know, a, a, a demonic whisper in the midst of all their persecution there in Thessalonica. It was so intense that uh, this lie came forth to somebody that they had uh, been left behind. The resurrection had come, the gathering of the saints, and they were still there. It seems from there that it was spread by word. We'll read that verse again this morning. And then it even got published. It got put forth by letter. And it seems that perhaps they even falsely signed Paul's name to it. Um, Paul was writing to them to assure them that God pro- God's promises are yes and amen. That in Christ Jesus, we will not be left behind at the gathering together of the saints. And then he began to talk about the day of the Lord and things that you know are going to come forth to assure them that they had not been left behind. And remember, he spoke that there would be a falling away from the faith, an apostasy that would come forth where uh, men would really shun the truths and doctrines of the Scripture and instead heap up for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears and really, uh, you know what, twist God's truths to appeal to their lust. And it seems that we're living in such a day uh, today. We also saw that falling away could very well indicate a departure. Again, the gathering of the saints. And then he speaks about the man of sin being revealed. And we talked about his revealing to the world as well as to the fact that we're not of the darkness, that we are spiritually discerned. And we very well as a church could see and understand who this individual is even before the gathering of the saints and the ushering in of the day of the Lord, which remember we were reminded is a period of time where the rapture of the church happens, the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and uh, the millennial rule, millennial rule of Christ for a thousand years. Well, this morning we're building on these things. This morning as we continue here in our text, we're going to talk more about this uh, man of lawlessness, or uh, you know, a man of sin, or son of perdition, he's called the Antichrist. Many titles he has in the scriptures. Oh, excuse me, we're going to talk about him as well as uh, seeing John's epistle talking about the spirit of Antichrist, which he says is alive in the world today. And uh, it's important we consider this because I think at times even as Christians, we can take on a spirit of Antichrist to not know that practically in the way that we live. Um, we're going to see again this call to remembering, 
uh, to memory of what had been taught to them. They had forgotten God's word and, and truths that had been planted in the heart, and that made them susceptible to deception. And that call for us to hide God's word in our heart. And when it comes to especially to these end times things, there's an assault on these things today. And we've been told to be mindful of God's promises of a second coming and of the climate that would be in place before his coming. And then we're going to talk about the restrainer. And we're going to see that there is something restraining this man of sin. And once this uh, person or persons are removed, then this man of lawlessness will come into place. We're going to consider who that can be. Uh, We also, in considering that, are going to see the fact that as the church, we are actually called to be a restraining factor. The fact this restrainer could be the church, I believe that it is. I don't know for sure, but I do know this. We've been called to restrain. We've been called to resist, and that's something that we need to be doing. And then finally, we'll touch on the fact that when the Lord comes at his second coming, this Antichrist is going to set himself as God, though he's not God, is actually going to be consumed by God. And praise God, though, uh, listen, there's many spiritual battles and things being waged and still to be waged. The war has been won. And we can rest in the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that we are victorious in him and we know how these things are going to unfold. And these things should bring comfort to our hearts. They should also stir our hearts to be about his business, to be using our time for his glory, redeeming it and taking the gospel out to a world that just desperately needs to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's read our text this morning. We're really going to focus in on verse 4 down through verse 8, but I want to start reading in verse 1 through 8 and then we'll dive right in here and uh, begin to, again, build on what we've been talking about. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with brightness of his coming. So again, here in verse 3 and 4, he's talking about uh, this man of sin, uh, this son of perdition. Uh, His title really tells us much about him and his titles throughout the scripture. There's several titles for the Antichrist or the beast, the man of sin. It shows what his title is. It's rebellion against God. I mean, sin is missing the mark. It is transgression. It is rebellion. And he embraces this title. Now, he will come as a deceiver. He will set himself up as a Messiah, saying he is Messiah. He is the answer. He is sent by God. But absolutely, he is deceitful in his actions, his activity, and his agenda. He really comes as a worker of Satan, and we know Satan will come as an angel of light, and he will come to deceive. He'll come wanting to give men the answers they're wanting to hear, but with really an agenda of destruction. And that takes us to another title that he has, the son of perdition, which means the son of one who is damned 
or the son of one who is, uh, again, going to be destroyed. And at the Lord's second coming, we see this individual will be cast into the lake of fire. And he comes to really deceive and to try to keep souls under damnation. And in that place of eternal destruction, trying to keep them from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, where eternal life is found, where forgiveness is found, where right standing with God is found. Again, we know another title that he has is the Antichrist, which not only means against, and absolutely he is against Christ, but it means instead of. And so he is going to come posing as the Christ, telling Israel that I am your Messiah, telling these other religions in the world that will really be coming together in an ecumenical kind of potpourri, hodgepodge, you know what, the breaking down of barriers, saying we are all really one, we're looking for the same thing. You look at these world religions today and they're all looking for this individual to show up to usher in uh, peace and safety, the age of Aquarius, and uh, this you know, a next step of human evolution, which again is all contrary to truth and to scripture itself. Now, Jesus in his ministry spoke of this individual. When he was speaking to the Jews in uh, John five forty three. he said, I have come in my father's name and you did not receive me. And we know it was only a remnant of Jews and Israelites that again, recognized that Christ was the Messiah according to the will of the Father, according to Scripture. Most of them had their own agenda. Most of them, again, had been deceived by those that had that agenda of self-righteousness and so forth. So the Lord said, I've come in my Father's name and you didn't receive me. And then he said, if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And he's speaking here about the man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, the beast. Again, many titles uh, that he has. Um, we referred last week to Daniel chapter 9. We'll talk a little bit more about this this morning. That when this individual comes, it says here in Daniel 9 27, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate and i know there's a lot of words there we really don't use in our vocabulary a whole lot basically what he's saying here is this individual is going to come and he's going to make a covenant or a peace treaty for a week now this week represents seven years and we know that by the context of what is being said in all of the chapter and in the context again a first mention in scripture the first time one week is mentioned is in Genesis when Jacob labors for his uncle Laban for a week or seven years so that he can marry Rachel after Laban did the switcheroo and he married Laban or, or Leah instead. And, uh, you know, shady uncle Laban. And so he labored for a week or seven years, the law first mentioned. And so we know, again, by the timeline even, because there's 69 weeks talked about this before this, or 483 years, we won't get into all that again this morning, that this individual is going to come, and he's going to make a covenant for a week. And Israel's going to receive this guy. They rejected Christ for the most part, except for a remnant. But the Lord said, when he shows up, you're going to receive him. And they're going to think this is the Messiah. They're going to think this guy has all the answers. He's going to broker a peace deal in the Middle East between Israel and and her neighbors. And we know to this day there is a lot of upheaval there in the Middle East. It's prophecy being fulfilled. 
the scriptures in the last days, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. Everyone's eyes will be on Jerusalem. I've said it many times. All the presidents in my lifetime have strived to try to bring peace to the Middle East. They all know if they could do that, boy, what a feather in their cap. Because if you can bring peace there, then you can bring peace anywhere in the world. And this individual is going to come in and he's going to be able to broker peace between Israel and her her Arab anti-Israel neighbors, as well as it seems with most of the world. Um, They're going to receive this guy. Uh, We read in Revelation chapter 6 of the tribulation really starts with this individual being given a platform. It says here in verse 1, now I saw the lamb open one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went conquering and to conquer. And at first read, most people think he's going to go out and with war conquer the world. But really in the context, you see that that's not the case. He's going to go forth as a king. A bow is not just a picture of a weapon, but is a picture of covenant. He's going to go forth and the world is going to be mesmerized by this guy in a very volatile time. Uh, You know, there's going to be a lot of crisis and he's going to come in and say, I got all the answers. We studied and we looked at and we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again. And before that, it talks about the rapture of the church. And then it says there in Chapter 5, verse 1, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Uh, for you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The Bible talks about us escaping. It says they will not escape. And so this individual is going to come. He's going to broker a peace deal. All the world's going to celebrate, and they're going to say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. And if you continue to read in Revelation chapter 6, these seals that come next, war breaks out all over the world. Famine breaks out, pestilence, all these different things, which is a picture of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And then again, you continue reading there in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, it talks about us not being appointed to the wrath of God. So this individual, again, is going to come, the man of sin, uh, the, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, and the world is going to you know, buy it hook, line, and sinker for the most part. Again, there's going to be a remnant of folks in the tribulation that recognize who he is or they're going to come to Christ. Eventually, all Israel will be saved out of it. Now, jump ahead real quick, and then we'll reset. But in verse 7 of our text, it says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We know this Antichrist is coming, but the Bible talks about a spirit of Antichrist and little, you could say, mini antichrists that are already working in the world. And just as in the Old Testament, there are types of Christ who come painting a picture of the Christ. They weren't the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And when he came, again, those were just pictures. There's types of Christ throughout history. I mean, Hitler, or antichrist, Hitler is a type of antichrist. Uh, these different individuals. But there's also a spirit of antichrist. Uh, John wrote about this. Uh, in 1 John two eighteen down through 23, very important text here. He says, little children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many, many Antichrists have come, by which we know this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. 
I have written to you because I, I have I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now notice verse twenty two. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And then he says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Jesus Christ himself said, you are either for me or you are against me. There's not some middle ground. There's not some middle camp. I think if you ask most people today, they would say, well, I'm kind of in that middle ground. I'm not necessarily against Jesus, but I'm not for Jesus. He's not my Lord. I'm not a Christian. Some people use that title, but when you break down really what a Christian is, you know what? If they're going to be honest, they're not followers of Christ. He's not their Lord. They just act kind of like hanging out in the middle. Well, there is no middle ground in the word of God. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. And before we came to Christ, we were in a place of being anti-Christ. We didn't receive the son. We hadn't received the son. In that, we had rejected the father. We were in that place under our sin or in our sin, under condemnation, under wrath and rebellion against God, whether we wanted to acknowledge it or not. There's good news though. That's why Christ came. Christ didn't come to condemn us in that place. Why? Because we were already condemned. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world, to make a means of salvation. We know Jesus lived a sinless life, went to the cross of Calvary, took the wrath due us upon himself, purchased us or paid the ransom for our sin through his shed blood, defeated sin, death, and Satan, then he rose from the grave, that again, as it says here, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, that whoever would call upon the name of the Son would be saved. So that whoever is kind of an all-encompassing title. It's whoever denies the Son or denies uh, the Son doesn't have the Father, and whoever accepts the Son only comes to the Father by the Son. And so this morning, listen, where are you? Are you against Christ, or is he your Christ? Hopefully he is your Christ, and if he is not your Christ today, it is time to bend knee and call on the name of Jesus, because there is no middle ground. And the enemy loves to put forth that idea of middle ground. You know, well, you're okay, you're somewhere in the middle. He's either your Lord, or he's not your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, again, I know this is harsh phraseology here, but the truth is, biblically, you're in a place where you're against him. His words, you were either for me or you're against me. Now, again, notice about the Antichrist, and we're going to see that this is really the spirit of Antichrist as well. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. And we know the Antichrist himself is fueled by Satan. And eventually, as they get deeper into that tribulation, it's going to come forth that they're Satan worshipers. I mean, the dragon is going to be exalted in the midst of that tribulation. It's very clear as you begin to read through prophecy. And we know that Satan is behind all of this. And this is where this uh, original sin came from, to exalt oneself above God and be worshipped instead of God. We know that before Satan fell, the devil fell, that his name was Lucifer, Isaiah and Ezekiel speak of this. Isaiah 14, 12, it says, How, oh, how you have fallen uh, from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, and these things always start in the heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars, 
I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's a really, really bad plan. Again, this guy had been created with great glory. It seems that he was the worship leader in heaven and he was tempted. Hey, you should, God allowed a temptation, again, a free will, and he was tempted. You should exalt yourself above God. You should be God. It wasn't enough to say, man, look how God's made me. God is good. Thank you, Lord. No, I'm going to exalt myself above him. And then verse 15 says, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And we know that Satan fell with a third of the angels that followed that plan. Yeah, we want to overthrow heaven. We know to this day, Satan runs to and fro on the earth. He's not bound in hell, though there is a, a, a small element of fallen angels that are bound in hell that will be released in the tribulation for a short time. We know as well he has access to heaven right now. The Bible says he accuses us night and day. Um, and Jesus defends us night and day. Isn't that good to know, to be in Jesus Christ? But the day is coming in the tribulation where he'll be bound to heaven. He'll know, bound from heaven. He'll know his time is short. And it seems that, again, uh, that, that it even ramps up all the more, all the things unfolding in the great uh, tribulation. So it started with the enemy saying, I'll exalt myself above God. And then we know that God had created man in the image of likeness of God. No doubt Satan was vastly jealous of that. That we're created in his image and likeness, and that cannot even be said about the angels. Man was in a perfect place, and yet God again gave man a free will, said you can eat of any tree in this garden, but the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surely you're going to die. And so Satan comes along, and again, gets man to begin to question God's word, begins to villainize God, and no doubt he's thinking, man, I fell to that lie. Surely, you know what, this guy that was just made out of dirt is going to fall to it as well. And remember, he tells Eve, God knows the day you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Again, God's the bad guy. God said, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from me. Again, you're going to be anti-Christ. You're going to be denying the Father for your own, you know what, plan your own program. And so it unfolds. Uh, Eve doesn't take those thoughts captive. She sees the eyes good for food. She's led by her flesh. She's led by, again, her own reasoning. It will make me wise. She ate. She gave it to her husband. He ate. And immediately there's separation from God. But they fell to that original lie. You can be like God. You can be God. And that lie is, again, uh, uh, all over the world today. And some actually taking it to the point of declaring, I am God. Um, again, you, you see this permeating most parts of the culture today. Unfortunately, it has even crept into Christianity. We've talked about this many times. Uh, many of the, the, the uh, best-selling Christian books contain the lie, God is everywhere and in everything. You're going to find it right on those pages. I mean, Rick Warren chose to use the New Century version of the Bible when he wrote Purpose Driven Life, which is, which is a, a, a horrific New Age version that says in Ephesians, God's everywhere and in everything. That's a lie. He was called out on the first edition. And yet there's 100 editions later, probably literally, and it's still in there. God is not everywhere and in everything. Before you came to Christ, God did not indwell in you. We were separated. Remember he said, you're going to be separated. But it puts forth this idea that he's everywhere and everything. Again, you find that in books like The Shack and Jesus Calling. And maybe you read that and you're like, oh, no, I'm a heretic. Look at a lot of, 
A lot of people read those books and there's, there's a lot of truth in those books. Lies always have to be wrapped in truth. Otherwise, it's not a very good lie, right? And I'm never trying to, you know, make someone feel bad that read that. I'm telling you to use some discernment and go check it next to God's word because there's a whole lot more lies in those books as well. But it's pantheism. That's what's being pushed in those books. God's everywhere and everything. So it doesn't matter what we worship, we're worshiping God. Um, and and this is spreading. Warren, Dre- Warren Smith's going to address a lot of this next week. Also beyond that, people that say, well, I'm not spiritual, I don't do all this stuff. You know, I'm somewhere in the middle ground. Whether they know it or not, they worship the God of their own belly. Uh, which again, it's man saying, I'm against Christ. Philippians 3.18, for many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That would be a good day, won't it? According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So really when man said, I, I'm going to eat of that tree, I'm going to be my own God. And you're either for Christ, you are in Christ, or you are against Christ. If you have not bent knee to Christ, you are propping yourself up as really another Christ. Instead of Christ, I'll be my own Christ, worshiping the God of your own belly. And some people are very much aware of that. Others aren't. It doesn't matter. Ignorance is not going to be a means of salvation. The shed blood of Jesus is the means of salvation. And so today, if he is not your Lord, it is time to bend knee and acknowledge your maker and accept his free gift of it through his death and resurrection of grace and salvation and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Ask him to give you the Holy Spirit that you can begin to walk in him and that call that he has on your life. Now, it also says about this individual, in verse 4, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing that he is God. And again, we read there in the middle of that peace treaty, about the three and a half year mark, he's going to go into the temple. There will be a third temple that's uh, erected there on the Temple Mount. To this day, Israel has everything they need to go and erect that temple and the red heifer and all the various things for all the different sacrifices and so forth. Though, Really, all those details really don't matter when it's being ran by the Antichrist. So he's going to go into what's called the temple of God because they're going to think that they are worshiping God and so forth. And he's going to go in there and say, I'm God. And he's going to bring forth a sacrifice that's going to be abominable to the Jews. He's going to do something there that makes them go, oh my goodness, we've been hoodwinked. We've been, are you ready for it? Bamboozled. This is not the Messiah. And God's going to allow that to happen so their eyes are open. It's going to be a sacrifice that is abominable, that's going to bring forth desolation to Israel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, that second part of the tribulation. Zechariah the prophet in chapter 13 says that two-thirds of all of Israel will be destroyed. He's going to go out to try to destroy Israel. Again, types of Antichrist, Hitlers and other people wanting to snuff out Israel. Why? Because they're wanting to stop the promises of God, saying if we can, or Satan behind that, if we can stop this, we can prove God's a liar, we win. Also, Christ will reign over Israel once she comes to salvation. And so, It's going to bring desolation to Israel, but a third of Israel will be saved. 
And we read there in Zechariah, they're going to look on him whom they pierced and long, and then they are going to fully come to that place of salvation. Paul speaks of this in Romans 11. He says, don't be ignorant, all Israel will be saved. And it's sad that, again, lies have crept into church today in replacement theology saying God's done with Israel and it's spreading like wildfire. Um, People saying, you know what, Um, that's all fulfilled in the church. And if God's not faithful to Israel, then how can we say God's going to be faithful to us? Because a lot of the rebellion you saw in Israel, you, saw, you see it over the last 2,000 years in the church at many times. And how many times are we rebellious even knowing Christ? Aren't you glad he's faithful to you? Aren't you glad he's a faithful God? I'm so glad that he is true to his end of the covenant. Because my end, if it weren't for him, I have no hope in myself. My hope is in him. So in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Again, they had been deceived by, we read, spirit, word, and letter. And Paul says, as if the letter's from us, it seems that it was forged, or they said, hey, Paul's backing this idea. Yeah, we've all been left behind, which even shows that they were looking for a pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, we're in the tribulation. We must have been left behind. Just do the math in it. But he says, you need to remember what you were told. Paul brought them the word of God. Paul didn't preach himself. Paul preached Christ. They had forgotten God's word, and the result of that, they had been deceived by spirit, word, and by letters. God has not called us to walk in deception, but to walk in truth. And yet the Lord said there would be great deception before his return. In fact, Peter tells us to remember God's word and God's truth, especially these end times events, because there will be people who will willfully forget. One of the marks of the return of Christ is a great increase of mocking uh, of, of the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the rapture of the church. This past week, Israel celebrated its 70th anniversary. It's a glorious thing. But I was so saddened by how many Christian, whether they are or they're not, the Lord knows, bloggers that took it upon themselves to attack Israel, to attack uh, end times prophecies, rapture, and so forth, uh, because at some point, you know what, someone put forth the idea when Jesus said this generation won't pass away concerning Israel, that from 1948 to uh, 2018 is 70 years, that's a, a generation, and so the Lord has 70 years to come back. None of that's biblical. Someone put forth an idea that was a thought, but it's their thought. And these people saying, oh, we told you there is no rapture. You know what, God doesn't care, you know, he cares about people, but Israel, it's done and so forth, celebrating that, really mocking the coming of the Lord all, all over the place, all these things and so forth. We're told to remember God's going to be faithful. Notice 2 Peter 3, 1, beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, and both which I stir up your pure, mind, pure minds by way of reminder. We need to remember that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. Again, this idea that there's no rapture, this idea there's no second coming, appeals to the lust of individuals. The things of this earth. They want an earthly kingdom. Now, God blesses us here with much. Let's be thankful. But Jesus came to set up a heavenly kingdom. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Then notice verse five. For this, they willfully forget that the word of God, but that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. They forget that judgment in Noah's day. And there's evidence of that all around the world that goes along with the evidence recorded in scripture. Every ancient culture speaks of a worldwide flood. They all speak of it. You go to the highest mountains in the world and you find fossils from the ocean. How do those get there? It's the flood. They willfully forget that. He says, but the heavens and earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. So we're being reminded, we're told not to forget. Those in Thessalonica had forgot, and as a result, remember, they were shook by it. We don't need to be shook. We need to remember. Let's not forget so that we can stand again on the solid rock of the Lord in days of peril and shaky days. He says, uh, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Jesus is not a slacker. But his long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he says, don't forget, God's faithful to his promise. The Lord is coming back. And remember this, that there's going to be people, people mocking, forgetting God's prior judgments. You need to know that what delays is coming, he's long-suffering, not wanting to see people perish. But we better remember, God is faithful to his word. And indeed, he's going to do what he said he is going to do. He always does. So again, let's hide God's word in our heart. The psalmist wrote, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119, 11. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. So let's walk saying yes to the Lord. We're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then let's remind one another of these things. Listen, there's many people mocking the Lord and the things of God. We need to encourage one another in the things of God. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, notice here, but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is not a time to grow weary in serving God. This isn't a time to say, I'm going to bow out from Christian fellowship. He says, as you see the day approaching, all the more assemble, all the more encourage, all the more exhort one another, build one another up, remind one another. We need to be doing that. And there's a lot of temptation, though, to forsake that. Instead, just to pursue selfish things. And to say, well, I'm saved, but I'm just going to pursue the lust of my flesh. And sadly, there's a lot of false teachers presenting Christ as the means to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's not why Christ came. Verse six, he says, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. So there is someone or some, you know, a group that is restraining the Antichrist from coming forth, that is holding back this lawlessness, that is holding back this man of sin and his rebellion. There's a resistance is what he's saying. There's a resistance that is pushing back. They knew what that was. Paul had told them. He says, you remember what I told you. Now the question is, 
Was that just insight for them or can we know? I think as we look at scripture, we can see what this restrainer is. I'll give you my opinion on it and then I'm gonna tell you what we actually know for sure in regarding to restraining and resisting evil. But verse seven, he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We talked about that. Satan has a plan at work. I'm God, you're God. We're gonna overthrow God. That's the plan. And they really think they will. That's how stupid sin makes you. It's already at work. Again, it is a mystery. Uh, there's a lot of mysteries in Scripture. The Bible talks about us looking through a glass mirror dimly, but the day's coming. We're going to know as we're known. And 1 Corinthians 13, it speaks of that. And though it's a mystery, though, listen, we know enough. The Bible says we're not ignorant to the schemes of the devil. So there's a lot of mystery in this, but there's not total ignorance on our behalf. So the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So we get some clues here about the restrainer. First of all, we see that it's a he or a person or persons that is currently restraining this evil. And the day is coming when this person or person's restraining is going to be taken out of the way to allow this again, flood of lawlessness to come forward. Now, I grew up hearing that the thing that needed to be taken out of the way for the lawless one to be revealed is the law. It was kind of like, oh, the lawless one. So when the law is taken out of the way, the lawless one will come. Well, the law is not a he, number one, but also the law does not restrain lawlessness. The law was given to increase lawlessness. (laughs) Paul speaks to that. With the law came more sin. More rules brings more transgressions. The government knows the more rules they can pass, the more they can find people for breaking those rules. <laughs> it's a great source of income to spend $50,000 on a hammer where most of that money goes in someone's pocket, you know. I read recently there's like $6.5 trillion that are unaccounted for by our government. They just don't know where it went. And I think our deficit's like $20 trillion or something like that. But they're 6.5. We don't even know where it went. I think we need a new accountant, right? The spirit or Antichrist as well will have laws. He's going to change laws and seasons. They won't be godly laws, but you know, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you're beheaded. That's called a law. Biblically, again, we read about one group that's going to be taken out of the way. We've been talking about that, right? Paul talked about this group. What is this group? It's the church. Again, and starting to talk about these events in the first epistle. When he went into detail, the first thing he talked about was the rapture. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. We'll be taken away. And we're caught up, raptured, ripped forth. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, thus we will always be with the Lord. Jesus talks about, again, the rapture, the days of Noah. Noah was taken. Again, uh, Matthew 24, 40, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And then speaking again about these end times events in the tribulation, Luke 21, 36, he said, watch therefore, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. And stand before the Son of Man. So again, it's not just escaping, you know, oh, all the Christians will be on an island and, you know, it's going to be a paradise. No, escape and be before the Son of Man. 
taken away. 1 John 5.19 says, We know we're of God while the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the world's under the sway of the wicked one in a place of antichrist. We are in a place where we're of God through Christ. And in that, we are told in James 4.7, Submit to God and resist the devil. Restrain him, resist him, come against him. When you read about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, it's not just about getting all the armor and circling up and becoming like a big body of Christ armadillo where we're just going to come under, you know, the protection here. Go read the text. We have two offensive weapons, the word of God and prayer, and we are supposed to be going forth, resisting, taking ground back for the kingdom of God. And then we see that we are called, the church is called salt and light. Jesus said in John or in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. But you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand and it gives light to all those that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Lord is saying, you're the salt, you are the earth. As we draw near to him, we light up the world and that restrains, again, darkness. It restrains the rottenness of lawlessness and the plans of the wicked one. We are called to do that. Again, we're not called just to armadillo up and go into hiding. We're called to be salt and light. Salt preserves. It slows down the rate of rot. Light resists darkness. He says, let your light shine in the world so that men will see it and come to Christ and glorify your Father in heaven. It's a resisting. And really, you know, you start looking at the ecumenical one world push. There is really only one group in the world saying no and is the remnant of true believers in faith in Jesus Christ. Saying we're not, no, this is wrong. Pushing back against. There might at times be other pockets of people with personal agendas, void of the spirit of God. But this is, again, the church's call. Now one thing about salt and light, we cannot produce salt on our own, physically or spiritually. In the history of the world, there's been many wars over salt. This is where that phrase, he's not worth the salt, comes from. The Romans at times paid their soldiers with salt. You're like, wouldn't they rather have gold? Well, if, you, if you're, you know, you need salt to live, and if you're lacking salt, salt's worth a lot more money, than, a lot more than gold, right? Gold's no good if you don't have another day alive to spend it, you know what? So we have to get salt from outside sources, physically. The same's true spiritually. Same's true with light. So this is a call for us to daily draw near to the source of light, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of salt, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to draw near to him. Because the Lord said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not worth anything except to be trampled underfoot. And listen, I find it interesting. The Lord tells the church of Philadelphia, I'm going to preserve you from this trial that's going to come over the whole earth. But he tells the church of Laodicea, which seems to be very much an unsaved church, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. You mix truth with error. It seems like they've lost their saltiness. Now, he also calls them to repentance. So he doesn't say, I'm done with you. 
But he says, you need to repent. Now notice verse eight, we close with this. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So he who restrains will be taken out of the way. The lawless one will be, re, will be revealed to the world. Again, he'll bring a covenant, peace and safety. You know, you see the confetti coming down, you know, in the cities. Oh, we, you know, age of Aquarius. Well, we have arrived. Kumbaya. Then sudden destruction. The plan begins to implode. Halfway through, again, abomination of desolation, Jacob's trouble. That's when the mark of the beast is instituted halfway through. He really goes after those remnant or those tribulation saints. People, a lot of people get saved during the tribulation. Really go after them, destroy them. And then at the end of that time, they're going to gather together in the valley of Jezreel. Really, more wars have been fought there than any other place in the world. It's also the valley of Armageddon, um, Megiddo. These places, all these valleys all come together. Every time we go to Israel, we go there. What a phenomenal place for a Bible study as we overlook it from Mount Carmel. It's going to go all the way really down to Basra. All the armies of the world gathering together. And they really are going to think they're going to defeat God. They really think that they are going to destroy God. Revelation 19 gives great detail how we are going to come back with them. We'll be gathered, we'll come back with him. Out of his mouth will come the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And it says he's gonna consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming the lawless one, the antichrist. He's gonna show up and you know what? Be revealed, I'm the one. And then again, a week later, seven years later, Jesus is going to say, you're not the one. I'm going to devour you. I'm going to consume you. With the breath of his mouth. With his brightness. And again, that's an encouragement to us. How are we salt and light? Let's hold up the word of God. Let's draw near to the light so we can reflect the light. Not not to, again, walk with some air of self-righteousness or, you know what, piety. But to know we once were in that place of antichrist ourselves. What saved us? The, the, the preaching of the gospel. And again, as Christians, now let's walk according to God's heart, not with the spirit of antichrist saying, well, I'll, I like I'm saved, but I'm going to walk according to my own flesh. And I think as Christians, we can walk with the spirit of antichrist while knowing Christ. We don't want to do that. Time's too short. Remember what the Lord has said. He's coming back and he's not a liar. And again, we see these things written all over the landscape of this world that we're living in, unfolding exactly as the Lord said it would. It is, it is incredibly uh, detailed and, and just fascinating. Don't let your heart grow hard to it. Hard to it, Because I think a lot of people are. And the Bible says a lot of people would. We don't want that to be us. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Well, Lord God, we bless you today. We praise you. We just thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that your promise is indeed, they are yes and amen. 
And Lord, really this all comes down to, again, us being in this place of rebellion and you choosing to make a way for us. Doing what we couldn't do. Living a sinless life and then laying down your life for our lives. I pray, God, that we won't grow stagnant or hard-hearted to your great love for us, Lord. Let us be mindful of your word and your truth, God. I know we have a call to endurance in Scripture and a call not to grow weary in doing good, and yet, God, it seems there are so many that are not enduring and they're not, and they are growing weary in doing good. God, we need to come back to that strength source, which is you. Lord, let us be found at your feet. God, let us return to our first love, so to speak. Just help us and meet us where we're at. If you haven't called on the name of the Lord, today is a day of salvation. You've heard the bad news. It is bad news. And I'd encourage you, if it's offensive news, it's a mistake to leave here villainizing God's word or myself. Again, Satan did that at the beginning. Let's villainize God's word. This is good news. Without Bad news, there is no good news. And the good news is that Jesus has made a way of salvation. Humble your heart and call on him. He will meet you where you are. Again, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He is a good God. He cares so much for you. Lord, we bless you and honor you. Let's, let's close with worship to the, to the Lord.
talked about the kids learning Spanish, you're learning a little bit of Hebrew. Hey, God bless you guys. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord. There's food out there that's been prayed for. The altar is open up here. Encourage someone before you leave today. Again, God bless you.